If you take your Bibles, you know where we're at. I'm going to open them to 1 John chapter 1. The title of today's message is The God of Light and Truth. Please stand with me as we read our passage for this morning. We referenced this last week, but how sweet it is to know that this revealed and completed canon of Scripture in the 66 books of the Bible is more sure than even the apostolic eyewitnesses. That's what we're reading right now. Verses 5 through 10. This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him. There is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, We are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Thanks be to God for his word. You may be seated. Now, over the years, I've had the opportunity to visit a couple underground cave systems. Whether it's the stalagmites or stalactites or underground streams or even some of the creepy things that you'll find in an underground cave system, they're all fascinating indeed. Just a couple years ago, our family visited uh, a well-known one in Kentucky named Carter Caves. I'll never forget that experience. In that experience, there was a park ranger that decided to allow us to experience what total and complete darkness is. He turned off the lights in an underground cave system. Now, it, it didn't take long for the mind to begin contemplating the sheer terror of what could be, the feeling of absolute helplessness without any direction if we were stuck there. Even in the beginning, God created the sun, the moon, and the stars as light in a world that was darkness. He created that light in order that we might know in a much more vivid and revealing perspective his creation. Consider the cave example. Even the creatures that live within these environments are by all intents and purposes blind because of their constant exposure to only complete and total darkness. Now do these animals... Of course, adapt to their circumstances. Of course they do. 
However, they obviously are without the privilege of experiencing creation in its fullest light. And light, in many respects, is the great revealer of truth and what is beautiful in this world that God has created. In a cave system, it would serve as a lamp of direction and hope. In a world filled with color and design, light allows for us to visually experience all that God has created. What's more, it's also a magnifying lens to expose what is false and what is harmful. There's a reason why the evil, the ugly, or the harmful often hide in the darkness and usually flee when exposed by the light. In our passage here this morning, John uses light and truth as metaphors. Metaphors that enable us to understand powerful truths about who God is and our lives as well. Now, if we identified a theme for this passage, we might say simply that God is light and His true followers walk in that light. In John's first four verses that we examined for the previous two weeks, he demonstrated who Jesus Christ is and why that's important. In these next verses that we just read and that we'll examine here today, verses 5 through 10, a similar vital and basic message continued to strengthen the churches of Asia Minor against outside threats. We discussed this in our introduction, the importance of fundamental Christian doctrine and understanding as we desire to be protected against outside threats. For the the churches of Asia Minor, we've discussed at length the Gnostic threat that was against them. Not to mention, John also desired to affirm the true believers in these churches to build them up and encourage them in their faith while also exposing those who were actually walking in darkness. As for our text, we'll examine three charges revolving around the question, as you can see in your sheet to this morning, how do we know God? As basic and fundamental as it gets. Seems simple, does it not? Notwithstanding the simplicity of this question and the answer to that question is absolutely essential for us in the same manner that it was for the original audience. Essential in the same sense as the original effect for the original audience. That effect for us and my hope and desire this morning is that it would continue to protect us from outside threats. That it would also affirm those of us who are truly in Christ of our relationship that is eternally secure in Christ. And, unfortunately, perhaps exposing false converts. 
that are within every church. So, let's get started with our first charge. And that is number one, to know who God is. As simple as can be. And from the preface of John's original first verses, first four verses, he communicated this idea that Christ was the one who they had heard, seen, and touched. Now, here in verse 5, he identifies and connects that idea with these words, this is the message. This one in whom they had heard, seen, and touched. Now he starts to move forward and this is the message from that one who we identified as the eternal God, the incarnate man, Jesus Christ. What is that message? You see it in verse 5. God is light. And in him there is no darkness at all. Now, we need to directly deal with this message. And it will be critical for us as we expound the text. That said, I don't want us to pass over these two simple words that John states when he says that this message is from him. As eyewitnesses, they had heard this message that was directly from him. We've already identified. He's saying loud and clear. Listen, this is not a message from man, but from God. In the midst of the Gnostic threat, this phrase certainly would have carried extra weight. Who were... These men to claim that you needed special knowledge outside of Scripture to fully understand who Christ is. This was opposed to understanding that this is the message that is directly from God himself. As for us, as I alluded to, even as we began here today, let us never forget the authority of God's revealed and completed word in the 66 books of the Bible. 2 Peter chapter 1, as we examined last week, verse 19, speaks incredibly clear to this word which is more sure than even Peter's Mount of Transfiguration experience. This word, this inerrant, this inspired Word of God is fully capable of equipping us for every good work and especially knowing who God is. That said, regarding the knowing, what about the specific message? What does John mean by the phrase, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all? Light and darkness throughout Scripture are often used as metaphors. Light referring to biblical truth and darkness to falsehood. Moreover, they typically speak to two components of meaning, an intellectual component of meaning and a moral component 
of meaning concerning these two metaphors in Scripture of light and truth. For example, intellectually speaking, you don't need to turn there, but in one of the great I am statements, Jesus himself stated it as such in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 12, when he said, Then Jesus again spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. Or, in that great Psalm 119 and its heavy emphasis upon the word of God and the power that flows forth from that, we read, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Intellectually speaking, light is biblical truth. Darkness is falsehood. Now, when it comes to the moral connection, metaphorically speaking, with light and darkness, look at John's letter here in chapter 2, verses 8 through 11, concerning these two ideas of light and darkness as we by all our desire, attempt to rightly divide this and understand what John is communicating. Verses 8 through 11 read, On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. The one who says he is in the light and yet hates his brother, is in the darkness until now. The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And then, for even more clarification, John adds what's known as a double negative in the Greek language. He does this in order to intensify this claim for us to understand, for the original audience and then us here today, to understand what he is trying to communicate. A claim that absolutely no darkness at all is in God. In order to communicate that double negative, the translators have the word at all. At all. Nothing in darkness can coexist with what is light. With that understood, let's try and break this down a little simpler. Again, I'll ask the question, what does John mean when he says... That God's message affirms He is light. He is, in essence, asserting that God is continually true, perfect, and pure in His character. Moreover, there is no secrecy in this known revelation to all men in whom God is, whether saved or not. 
Paul stated it as such in Romans chapter 1, verse 19, when he said, For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. In the context of that passage, he was speaking directly about unbelievers. This is a known fact in who God is. Our conscience bears witness to that fact, Romans 2.15. So, in light of this known message for the churches of Asia Minor, and I might add, us here today, how might we apply this knowledge of who God is? That He is light, that He is true, that He is perfect, that He is pure, For my unbelieving friend, beware of your pride, the false notion that you are a good person. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, you must be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. John's going to deal with the reality of the sin Within this passage, however, at the end of the day, you are more than familiar with its convicting presence. Even those of us that have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, the majority of us, by God's grace, within this room here today, are fully aware of the weight of sin that was upon our shoulders apart from the grace of God. Be that as it may, how might this encourage us? Continuing to speak to my unbelieving friend, herein lies the soothing balm for your calloused soul. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. He is the answer for the perfection that is required. I plead with you, instead of running from the light as an exposed and hardened criminal, run to the God who is light for the ultimate purity of clemency. For my believing friends, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the midst of your affliction, whether that be even now or soon to come, we all know the trials are coming in a world that's broken and tainted with sin. Rest in the knowledge that God is light, true and perfect, I promise you, this will be a lifeline for you in your times of difficulty. James tells us, and you know the passage, that every good gift comes down from the Father of lights. And when we receive those good gifts, we rejoice And we praise our Father in heaven for all of those good gifts. However, 
Will you remember that even in your providential hurricanes of life, you can find peace in the God who is light, who is true, who is perfect, who is pure in his character, that he will never give you more than you can endure. That because he's light, he is faithful to his word and his steadfast love will never cease for you. Intimately, individually, not even collectively. He knows your name, his death on the cross, and we'll get to that next week in just two verses which are so fundamentally powerful in and of themselves concerning the propitiation, the removal of wrath from you individually. There was purpose in his death. When feeling in bondage to Satan, the world, or even ourselves, will we be like Joseph? Might we say, when feeling that bondage, to know what Satan or others meant for evil, the God who is light, Meant for good. Not just in your good gifts, but in your trials, in your struggles, in your tribulations. He means it for good. There's such comfort and such peace in this absolute good and certain truth of who God is. To know who God is similar to verses 1 through 4, prepares us to persevere. What's more, and we discussed this last week and we'll continue to do so today, it protects us from error and threats. Let's deal with that in our second charge. Number two, beware of the lie. Beware of the lie. Now, I mentioned this last week. But John, throughout this book, doesn't always communicate in a nice and neat, sequential manner. Here we come to another example of that. And because of that, in this charge, we'll deal with verses 6, 8, and 10. Reason being because John rotates back and forth between the negative and the positive. And let's look at the negative first. In these three verses, verses 6, 8, and 10, I'll read each of them again. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Or in verse 10, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. Now in John's normal objective and in your face style of communication, let's summarize 
those three verses and what he is saying, in my own words, I would say, and it is clear from the text of Scripture, this is what he is stating. If you claim to be a Christian, while living in and making light of sin, then you are a deceived liar and the truth is not in you. You are not a believer. Wow. And we said John doesn't mince words, does he not? Last week we saw how biblical fellowship involves intimate participation and partnership. That word intimate being key. Last week I referenced the danger of us approaching our fellowship with dear brothers and sisters in Christ like a social camaraderie rather than a desire to intimately know each other. And yet, as John writes this letter, there are some perhaps here, which is clear from his communication, that were claiming to be in fellowship with God while yet walking in darkness. For what fellowship does light and darkness have? Absolutely none. This is impossible. For the God who is light and his people who walk in the light to have intimate fellowship with darkness, which is false. John communicated it as such in his gospel. John chapter 3, verses 19 and 20. You don't need to turn there, but listen closely to this distinction between light and truth and how they do not, or I should say light and darkness, and how they do not coexist. He says, this is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. What's more, this phrase, we lie, in verse 6, is, is actually even more revealing concerning this deception from the original language. There's clear intentionality to deceive and to manipulate the truth. Verse 7, you see this in the deceiving of oneself. The man who walks in darkness actually knows it and his conscience bears witness to it. Then a striking challenge from the Gospel of John again. Chapter 8, verse 44. The apostle clearly identifies this type of man and where his motivation comes from. He says, you are of your father, the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. That is a man walking in darkness. That is a cold, hard, difficult truth, but a needed one. 
As for the Gnostics of the day, we've touched upon several of their heretical views. Views that would be contradictory to biblical truth, challenging the humanity of Christ, as we've discussed. This idea of a special knowledge outside of Scripture in order to know who God is. And then, we spoke to this last week, based upon their view that the body is evil and the spirit is in essence good, many approached God's laws with a sense of carelessness in this original environment. A carelessness that produced a lifestyle of rampant sin, a lifestyle of darkness. In verse 8, you can see this level of error and the lies increase. We see it in the phrase, if we say we have no sin. Now, walking in darkness is one level of error and deception. To claim we have no sin is a whole nother level of deception and error. Furthermore, the chief of all error and lies within this passage flows out of verse 10. John says, for those who believe these things, he says, we make him a liar. Make him, the one who is light, a liar. And his word is not in us. There are some when standing accused of a crime and facing punishment. Many a men attempt to deflect their guilt upon the innocent. Whether they fully understand their deflection of that guilt, what they do fully know and understand is their convicting conscience and the violation of the law. And yet, in an attempt to justify their behavior, innocent people and this hypothetical worldly example are often damaged. And this example pales in comparison to the level of deception and error in attributing any type of falsehood to the God who is light, who is truth. God is not a man, you know the verse, Numbers 23, verse 19, that he should lie. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. In the third charge, we'll see the positive aspect of John's challenge. One which more than eliminates the lie of either lessening the significance of sin or, for that matter, completely abandoning. There is no such thing as sin. We have no sin within us. Now that said, maybe some of you are struggling with finding application from these verses in the context of the original threat. You fully understand what the Gnostics believed, some in particular, that there was no such thing 
as sin, that we can live in rampant violation of God's law and in darkness because my spirit is in essence good, but yet my body is evil. Yet, as a believer today, you would never reject the reality that we all still wrestle and battle with sin. How might we then still benefit from this charge, beware of the lie, given the original context? Allow me to offer two thoughts. We called the charge, beware of the lie. Regarding that lie, first off, when it comes to knowing God, let us never forget that God is light when we talked about the theme of this passage and his true followers will not walk in darkness. They will not live in darkness now. None of us know the true state of an individual's soul before God that's between them and the Lord. However, We know a tree by its fruit, do we not? There are people in our lives that are consistently walking in darkness, yet claim to follow Christ. Beloved, let us love them, care for them, Show grace to them, have compassion with them right where they're at. However, let us also beware of the lie that his word or truth is in them. When we accept this truth, our approach with those in whom we love, is transformed. No longer resting on a so-called decision in the past to believe on Jesus Christ, but seeking for opportunities to speak truth and love in the message of the gospel. All the while praying That they might come to a true saving relationship with Christ because those that are in Christ walk in the light. They do not walk in darkness. Secondly, and this would be by way of implication from the text, beware the lie that takes sin for granted. It lessens its threat. We all know, those of us that are born again believers in Christ, that there is therefore no longer any condemnation to us. The blood of Jesus Christ has wiped the slate, slain, the slate clean. Hallelujah. 
Our salvation is eternally secure in Christ because of his sacrifice on behalf of us. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, we're encouraged. And that, when he says, and this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Remember that word propitiation. The wrath of God that we deserved has been removed. And we're going to examine that word in much more detail in the first two verses of chapter 2 next week. Because of this great gift, let us never take lightly our sinful nature that we still wrestle with, albeit resting in our security in Christ. We'll see the positive charge shortly regarding this reality. That said, and I've mentioned this several times now, I love this quote, but it's just still perfectly appropriate and applicable for where we're at in this text. And the old Puritan John Owen, when he said, be found killing sin, Many of you can probably repeat it now that I've mentioned it several times, or it will be found killing you. Do we hate sin? Does it grieve us? Not under condemnation, but because we cherish and love this Lord and Savior and whom redeemed us and we desire to walk in the light. We mentioned the father of lies, the devil. It was the sin of pride that ultimately led to his fall from the ranks of God's angelic command. When we spend more time knowing who God is, we'll be more equipped to beware the lies of the devil, the world, and even at times our own sinful nature. In our third charge, we'll finish on that positive note in response, once again, to our question, how do I know God? And that's number three. Simply walk in light and truth. Again, as John went from the negative to the positive to the negative to the positive, in this third charge, we'll examine verses seven and nine. This charge, as as I'm labeling it, walk in light and truth, we see as an idea throughout Scripture, an idea that without a doubt is key to knowing God. To know who He is is not enough. What good is a head knowledge without a heart that is sold out for Christ? Even that idea, the biblical idea of knowing God in your heart involves the entire person. As we examined in Paul's letter to the church at Philippi, our examination of chapter 4 in Philippians, we looked at what it means to dwell on righteousness, to learn righteousness, and then to practice 
righteousness. If we're to truly know God, we will ultimately walk in the light and truth. Look at verses 7 and 9. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. And then in verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all sin unrighteousness positive indeed and let's break this down for its practical meaning and first off in verse 7 it's important to understand this walking in the light as a life of truth and honesty transparency is this not what we identified light as metaphorically speaking biblical truth That is clear and obvious. As for the Lord, he is the essence of what is true and clear. As for us, are we reflecting that? Are we walking in that light of what is true and clear and obvious and honest and pure? No. Notice the verse doesn't say according to the light. I think this is important for us to touch upon. This, if it was the case, would place an impossible burden upon us of perfection, which we all understand we fall miserably short of. One which could only come from God himself. The one who is perfect and pure and true. That said though, understanding that we still fall short and that it is in Christ's perfection that we rest, we have still been called to live a life of truth that reflects righteousness. That reflects truth. Likewise, when walking in this manner, you'll see in verse 7, we cannot help but experience sweet fellowship with one another. When we seek to walk in the light and truth, when we seek to develop individually, Pursuing God and sanctification, growth and holiness. Consider the effects of that collectively for us as a body. When we're growing in sanctification, when we're walking in the light and truth, our compassion, our mercy, our grace, our empathy, all of these characteristics continue to flourish in us as none of us hopefully here today would claim to be without sin as we've examined we know in a fallen world 
even in the midst of this sweet fellowship, at times we rub each other the wrong way. How much more can we overcome those hurdles when we're walking in the light and truth, pursuing Christ, growing in grace, in order that when we rub each other the wrong ways, we can give grace, we can give compassion, we can give empathy to one another, in order that we experience this sweet fellowship because we are walking in light and truth. What's more, in response to that heretical idea of lessening the significance of sin, John tackles it head on in verses 7 and 9 when we see the clear reality of sin. Better yet, the truth that through the confession of sin, this God who is light and truth As you can see in verse 9, the one who is faithful and righteous cleanses us from all unrighteousness. Now, considering this responsibility for us all to walk in light and truth, there's perhaps no greater responsibility than when it comes to a life that models repentance. The word confession is translated literally, say likewise. If we say likewise, there's certainly an idea of public admission, one in which we acknowledge and turn from sin. That is not, is it not what biblical truth, biblical repentance is? A turning away. From a lifestyle of sin, repentance from the beginning created in us what theologians will refer to as a positional justification. That in position we have been made in right standing with God. Those of us that are in Christ, born again, redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, understand what that repentance is a once and for all repentance lord i give my life to you cleanse me of all unrighteousness receive me lord i'm not worthy but because of your price that you paid i might have eternal life that is positional justification in right standing with God. Our debt has been removed, the ultimate stain of sin cleansed for good, eternally secure. Although, if we're to walk in light and truth, there will also be a daily commitment to practical seeking of forgiveness and repentance from God. Because even though the slate has been wiped clean, there's still a flesh that we wrestle with. 
Some of you know that here currently we are pressing hard to get into our new home. So this illustration kind of rings clear for me. I hope it does for you. But at times, individuals seek to purchase fabric that may have somewhat of a a lifetime guarantee against stains. For those young parents in the room, that probably even makes more sense as your children leave all types of things that might leave a stain on a fabric. We rest assured in that protection, that lifetime guarantee. Nevertheless, we'd still be foolish to neglect the consistent care of that fabric, would we not? Or do we just pour juice on it to see that it is lifetime guaranteed? God is faithful to his covenantal promises. He is righteous in atoning for our sin through the death, self-sacrificial death of his son. The death that washes us white as snow. Notwithstanding, we say it again, He calls his people to walk in the light as he is in the light. Do not neglect consistent care from a human perspective of this precious, cherished, new creation that we have been given. To know who he is as the perfect God of light and truth To beware the lies that in actuality paint him as a liar. Darkness does not, nor will it ever, coexist with light. And then to walk in a manner that practices daily repentance. One last comment, and I promise I'm done. I mentioned this briefly. But to walk in the light is more than a single decision in the past. It's a lifestyle that actually reflects a new creation. For those of us in Christ, by God's grace, the majority in this room, rejoice in the God of your salvation who turned your broken and hardened stony heart to flesh that you might experience this God of light, that you might see and understand this creation. And yet, if perhaps there's one who's still in the darkness here today, might I gently urge you, come out of the cave. Repent of your sin. 
which you are more than familiar with and that your conscience even now speaks to. Receive Jesus Christ, the one who is only light, pure, and perfect. He is your salvation. There's a world of beauty and truth that you've never seen. I promise you, the God who is light will open your blind eyes to a world of glorious grace and forgiveness. Amen. A world of peace, a world of direction with purpose. Because apart from Him, there's no purpose. A world that's designed to give Him glory and for His people to accomplish good and perfect things according to His will. Bow with me in prayer. O God of light and truth, you are the one who is perfect and true. As we pray unto you here this morning, we understand our frailties. We understand our brokenness. We understand our weakness. We understand our sin, O God. But because of your death, because of your sacrifice, because of the atoning work on the cross, you have cleansed us from all unrighteousness. Lord, because of that great gift of salvation, by the power of your spirit and through your word, would you cause us, Lord, on a daily basis to walk in light and truth for your glory And oh God, would you pierce the heart of the sinner that is still within the cave of darkness and call them unto your marvelous light. 